you're listening to the Sojourn Montrose Sermon Podcast. To get connected at Sojourn Montrose, visit our website, sojournmontrose.org. All right, good morning. Merry Christmas. Yeah, I like that. There's a couple times we tried to say Merry Christmas and uh, there was no response. And so I wanted to make sure we, we got a response this morning because uh, I love Christmas time. Christmas time has been my favorite, uh, really, since the beginning. Uh, I love everything about Christmas, right? I love the cookies. I love the traditions. I love the decorations. I love the Christmas movies. I will fight you if you say that Jim Carrey's The Grinch movie is not the best movie of all time when it comes to Christmas movies. I do believe that that is the best of all time. Um, I've always loved Christmas, but over the past I don't know, eight years, ten years, something like that. Uh, Christmas has become much more deep for me. Uh, I grew up in a Christian family, and so Christmas has always been about Jesus. Uh, But as a young kid, it's easy to get distracted with everything else going on. But over the past ten years or so, Christmas has really become a source of deep joy for me. Because Christmas became more and more and more about the birth of Jesus and all that that meant for me and in the world. As I grew older, and as we all continue to grow older, we will find that the world is more broken than we thought. We see the brokenness, we see pain all around us, suffering left and right. And then as you grow older and you get married and you have kids, your sin becomes all the more evident. It doesn't necessarily grow, so it might. But you begin to see more and more how broken you really are. And as I got older and as I got married and realized, man, I'm I'm a lot worse off than I thought I was. And then we had kids and it's like, man, I really am a lot worse off than I thought I was. Christmas became such a deep place of a season of joy for me. I began to taste this expectation. It's building up to this one day where Christ is born, where joy, hope dawns, where we finally see the realization of our faith. Every year we practice this season of Advent, and you're invited to really begin to sit in the darkness. Now, I don't mean that in a dark way. What I mean is understand and accept that we live in a broken world and that we we really are more broken than we ever thought we could be. And then as we get closer and closer to the birth of Jesus, we can begin to feel this sense of expectation. And then on Christmas Day, we experience joy. And that is but a foretaste of what we will experience when Christ comes again. That's part of the reason Christmas became such a joyous time for me, beyond just the really cool Christmas cultural stuff. I began to see that one day Christ is going to come back, just as he did before, though not through a womb. But he will come in his full glory, and he will bring his full kingdom, and everything that is wrong will be made right. Every tear that we cry will have dried up, and we will see our God. That is what this season of Advent can remind us of. That this is really happening. Jesus really is coming back. There is joy that we can have now, and there's a greater joy coming. So this Advent season is such a fun, 
beautiful time, time of family and celebrations and all that good stuff. But let it be a season for you and for me where we pause and reflect. Reflect on who we are and what's happened in this world and then reflect on the birth of Christ. So this morning we're going to dive into a pretty short text. And in this text, I think we can see three responses that we can have, that we can grow in, that we can apply to our lives and rest in about the birth of our Savior. There's really just four characters in this text, and three of them respond to the fourth in beautiful ways, in convicting ways, in humiliating, humble ways, whatever that word is, forgive me, I'm very tired. So with that, let's dive in and just, I want to give you a little bit of background and then we'll get more into the background later in the sermon. But um, Mary has come to Elizabeth because she has just received word that she was going to have a baby. She was betrothed, she was not married, and yet the Holy Spirit came upon her and placed Jesus, the Messiah, into her womb. And she immediately, or very quickly, goes to Elizabeth's house. Now, Elizabeth was also pregnant, and earlier in Luke chapter 1, Zechariah, her husband, receives a word from the Lord. He receives the word from the angel saying, your wife is going to get pregnant. Now, they had been barren, and they were old, so it was not something that was possible for them. Zechariah responded in disbelief, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. But it still came to pass that Elizabeth became pregnant. <clears throat> and we know that these are pretty close together in time, because Elizabeth feels the baby move in her womb. So it hasn't been just a few months, like three months. It's probably four, five, six, seven, eight months where all of this happens. And so Mary, after receiving this word, goes to Elizabeth's house. We don't know why. There's no, we really have no idea why she did, but she did. And when she arrived, Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, and the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And when Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit, what that means is she received the knowledge that Mary was pregnant. Maybe she wasn't even showing. Maybe she was. But that she wasn't just pregnant, but that she was pregnant with the coming Messiah. And the first response that, that Elizabeth has is one of deep joy. She pours out praise and, and, and blessing, blessings upon Mary and especially upon Jesus. You can see what she says um, in verse 42. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Elizabeth had a deep joy. She had been given the opportunity to have a baby. This baby was going to be John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus. He was coming to prepare the way of the Lord. She had experienced joy in becoming pregnant. But here, when she sees that Mary has come and the Holy Spirit reveals to her that this baby is the coming Messiah, she is filled with deep, deep joy. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, why is she filled with such joy? Now, if you've grown up in church, you know the answers, but I do want us to stop and, and take a minute and just reflect on her knowledge coming into this very moment. 
We are on this side of history where we have seen Christ has died, Christ has risen, and we have not seen Christ will come again, but he will. Elizabeth has not seen that. She doesn't fully understand yet all that the Messiah is going to do, but she did have a knowledge. And that knowledge, when, when Jesus is right in front of her, gives her deep joy. So let's just talk about that for a little bit. It, it really, it starts in Genesis, right, where God creates everything. It's beautiful. It's good. Uh, he creates Adam and Eve. They are perfect. There is no sin. Everybody's happy. It's this wonderful place where we dwell with God and God dwells with us. And as we know, the deceiver comes along, the serpent, and he deceives Adam and Eve. They believe the lie. They eat of the fruit, and everything is broken. Adam and Eve sin. Sin has entered the world, entered into our hearts, and, and the cosmos are broken. And then in Genesis chapter 3, God begins to curse Adam and Eve, and then he gets to the serpent. And when he curses the serpent, what does he say? He says that there will come a day where a man shall be born of a woman and he will crush your head and you will bruise his heel. In this moment when humanity has fallen, everything has broken, God reveals the first, first glimpse of his plan of redemption. How is he going to make all things right? He reveals it in Genesis chapter 3. He doesn't have to. I need to stress this, and I want this to soak in to all of us this morning. God never had to have a plan of redemption. There's nothing wrong with a good God saying, that's it, you lost your chance. But God is merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and reveals his plan of redemption. That a man would come from a woman, and he would crush the head of the deceiver. Later on in Genesis, uh, we see Abraham. And Abraham has no children, has no family, and he's promised a nation more than the stars in the sky. And then Abraham, later on, receives a word from the Lord that, this, that from his family there would come an offspring, singular. This offspring, in the midst of the, na- of the multitude of people that he would have in his family, this offspring would be a blessing to all the nations. So once again, we're seeing a man born of a woman, and then in this family of Abraham, this man that is born will be a blessing, not just to the Abrahamic family, but to all of the nations. Then later we see the people of Abraham are in slavery. They're, they're stuck in slavery. God sends a deliverer, Moses. God uses Moses to deliver his people out of slavery, puts them into the wilderness, and then in the wilderness at Mount Mount Sinai, he begins to reveal his law and his uh, covenant. And in this, in Deuteronomy 18, Moses says that there was going to come a day where a prophet would come, and this prophet would be greater than Moses. And then we also see later that this prophet would also be a greater deliverer. He would truly be the one to take his people out of slavery and deliver them to a promised land. Then later we see David is promised in 2 Samuel uh, chapter 7 that his kingdom would never end, that there would be one who sits on his throne who would have a kingdom that is everlasting. It would not pass away. We know the Davidic kingdom did pass away physically, when the exile happened. But there would be one who would come that would sit on the throne of David, and that kingdom 
would be unending. We see in Isaiah how Isaiah prophesies that the people who lie in great darkness, upon them a light has shone. We see in Isaiah that there will be a baby born to a virgin, and he, not she, he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We see in Isaiah 53 that this suffering servant who would come would also die for the iniquity of us all. We see in Daniel how there would be one like a son of man who would ascend to God on high, and he would be given all dominion, all glory, and authority, and worship. All of these things or what Elizabeth is hoping in. She is hoping in a Messiah who would come, who would make all things right, who would establish a beautiful kingdom, who would bring about peace between God and man through a sacrifice. She's waiting for a greater prophet than Moses. And as Hebrews reveals in the New Testament, she's also waiting for a priest who can go before God and offer a once and for all sacrifice that we might all be forgiven and accepted by God. This is what she's hoping for. And so when she sees this baby, well, in the womb, she sees all of her hope has come. In Jesus, we find all of the promises of God. He is the yes and amen to everything that God has done. He is the point which all of human history has been moving towards. And she is filled with deep joy, regardless of her circumstances. This morning, we can have this same type of joy. We can have a type of joy, especially on this side of history, post the cross, having seen what this Messiah has done and is doing, and then knowing what he will do, we can also have a deep joy that is not swayed by our circumstances. But if I'm honest with you, as I was preparing for this sermon, I was talking to um, Rachel maybe just a couple days ago, I realized that for the past couple of years, maybe, I have allowed my circumstances to rob me of the joy that the Father has given me. Because here's the reality. I, Chase, have been adopted by the Father because of Jesus' death and resurrection, and I am now his son. And he only allows good things to happen to me, even if they are bad. He turns all things out for good for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. I don't have to worry if he's going to hear me or not when I come to him. I know he will hear me because Christ is sitting next to him, interceding for me. I know that I am fully loved, fully adopted, and his forevermore. And yet, For maybe the past couple of years, I have allowed my circumstances to rob me of this joy. I have instead, instead of looking unto Christ and seeing all that he has done and not ignoring my circumstances, we don't ignore them. We address them, but we don't address them alone. We address them with a father who has adopted us and who loved us, and I don't do that enough. And I would focus so much on my circumstances that I would forget this joy. Christ was born for me. Christ was born for you. That you all may have joy that is never-ending, unquenchable. It is not swayed by our circumstances. This is the hope that we have. This is the joy that we can have. And one thing I've learned as I was 
kind of wrestling with this, and I listened to a Tim Keller sermon about prayer, and uh, I had noticed that when I was praying and asking the Lord for circumstances to be changed, I wasn't filled with peace. I was filled with more anxiety. And Keller actually talks about this, and he says, look, if, if that's what you're doing, you're forgetting the first step of prayer, and that's adoration. Adoring God. Praising him for who he is, reminding yourself of who he is. So I began to add that into my prayer life, and it really did change me. Now when I pray for my circumstances, I am not robbed of my joy, because my joy doesn't matter, it doesn't um, uh, sit on if these circumstances are changed and fixed. My joy is in the Father and in the Son and the Spirit who love me, who have adopted me, who have promised that one day I will be with them forever. On and on I can go. This is the joy that Elizabeth experiences through the power of the Holy Spirit, and this is the joy that we have in Christ and can continue to grow in should we allow ourselves to press into the Lord more so than our circumstances. So this is our first response that we can have in this season of Advent. The second response is one of faith. Honestly, um, over the past two or three years, as I've been thinking about Mary, every year we think about Christmas time, right? So every year I'm thinking about the different characters in this narrative. And, and really, Mary has become one of my favorite people in the New Testament. She's awesome. She's filled with such faith. Now, this faith comes from the Lord. Mary is not anything better than us. But her response to what the Lord has told her is going to happen is one of deep faith. Earlier in, the, in, in Luke chapter 1, we'll actually discuss this next week, um, Mary uh, receives this word from the Lord that she is going to have a baby even though she's engaged and not married. And it's going to be from the Holy Spirit, he's going to place the baby inside of her and this baby would save all the people from their sins. Mary simply asks, well, how is this possible? The Holy, uh, the Holy Spirit, excuse me. The angel explains, and Mary says, cool, let it be. Sounds great. I'm in. Mary has such a deep, deep faith and rest in who God is and what God was going to do, even though it was costly. It would not have been easy to have been pregnant and not married in this time but she willingly accepted all the shame she would experience because her Lord had asked her to. She was willing to do that. Contra and actually, I won't do that yet. Look at verse 45. Uh, Elizabeth says, And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. This is, this is there for a reason. This is there because Elizabeth's husband, Zechariah, did not believe that what the angel of the Lord was telling him would happen to his wife would actually happen. He did not have belief at all. And I want to contrast these two people for a second. Zechariah was a priest who was able to go into the building of the temple. He likely had deeply studied the scriptures and knew the things of God, the word of the Lord, how the Lord works. He knew who God was. And then at the moment he has the opportunity to respond in faith, he doesn't. He doesn't believe. He's like, dude, this isn't possible. 
And yet Mary, a young girl who was not able to go into the temple, who likely did not have the uh, same understanding of the scriptures as Zechariah did, responds in full faith. Such is the kingdom of God. It doesn't matter if you have come to church every Sunday of your life. It doesn't matter if you're a a pastoral resident or an elder or, or a seminary professor. It does not matter. You can have all the knowledge of the world, and without faith it is impossible to please God. Mary had faith. Her faith is astounding. And this morning, I think that's our second response we can have to this news of the coming Messiah. One, we can respond in faith to the knowledge that Jesus has been born and has then died and rose from the dead so that we may all be saved. Those of you in here who have not responded to the message of Jesus with faith, full faith that God has come to rescue you from your sins and deliver you out of your sin and into the future promised land, he has come to do this for you and you now have the opportunity to respond in faith. He is ready and willing to bring you into the family. And then for those of us in here who are believers, we also have an opportunity to continue to respond in faith. We can respond in faith to the word of the Lord. As we read this, are we reading it with the heart of Zechariah or the heart of Mary? When we come to this word, are there preconceived ideas that you have? That when the word of God contradicts it, you're not willing to budge on? That is the heart of Zechariah. The heart of arrogance, pride. Or you come into this word with the heart of Mary. Truly understanding the reality that you are not God. That I am not God. That we do not know what is best. We do not know what is good for us. We are like children compared to God. This morning, you have the opportunity to take a step of faith and say, you know what? Whatever this says, I'm in. Whatever the Lord says, I will do. Whatever the Holy Spirit leads me to do, I will obey. And when we do this, empowered by the Holy Spirit to go in this direction, we will be blessed. And notice, again, Mary's not blessed physically in the sense of she doesn't get all this wealth. She gets shame, likely, because she responded in faith. Responding in faith doesn't mean physical, earthly blessing. It does mean a right relationship with the Lord. And it does mean a deep joy. And it does mean that one day we will be rewarded for our faith because of Christ. And lastly, the last response in this text is one of my favorites, um, is the baby, John. John was born, or has not been born yet, but John was given to Elizabeth and Zechariah that he would one day be born and be the forerunner of Jesus, right? He would go and prepare the way of the Lord. He would prepare the hearts of the people. He would go and proclaim, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. When he sees Jesus coming, he would declare, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. When he is told by his disciples that Jesus' ministry is growing and his is shrinking, he says he must increase 
and I must decrease. This is who John is, and John begins his work in the womb of proclaiming. He leaps in the womb and alerts Elizabeth, and then Elizabeth, from the Holy Spirit, receives the knowledge of what's actually happening. John begins the work of proclaiming. He tells his mother, Jesus is here. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And, and in this text, I think this is a really um, cool. I don't know a good word for that. Cool. Um, when it says that John leaped in the womb, that word in the Greek Old Testament is also used in Genesis 25. But in Genesis 25, it's when Jacob and Esau are in the womb of Rebekah, but they aren't leaping. The word is translated into English there. They are struggling for primacy. Who would be greater? And then um, the Lord reveals to them that one day these two, these two babies would be two great nations, and instead of the older um, presiding over the younger, it would be the opposite. John does not struggle with primacy. He leaps. He proclaims. He says, this one in this other womb, this is the one that has long been foretold, and he begins his work of proclamation. The third response we ought to have this Christmas, this Advent season, is one of proclaiming, is one of going out and telling our friends, telling our family, telling our neighbors, that Christ has been born. As Jesus ascends to the right hand of the Father, he gives us a commission to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded, and behold, I am with you always till the end of the age. This is our commission, church. We are to take on this not the exact same role of John, but the role of John the Baptist and to begin proclaiming. But I wonder this morning if you and I, especially, and I am talking about me here, I wonder if we are actually wrestling with supremacy with Jesus. If we are more willing to, to wrestle with Jesus and say, dude, I don't want to proclaim because I don't like what that's going to do to me. I don't like how my social status, how my friends might think of me, how my family might think I'm weird, cast me out, whatever else. I don't like what might happen to me if I start proclaiming. This is the same spirit of Jacob and Esau. We're wrestling with Jesus. Who's really supreme here? Who do I care more about receiving glory? Do I care enough about my friends and family and neighbors knowing that if they don't hear and then don't respond by the power of the Holy Spirit, they are destined for hell, just like you and I were. This is the reality, and I so often forget this. My neighbors who I have not talked to about Jesus might not know that Christ has been born for them. They might miss the opportunity to respond to the work of Jesus. And we have been given the task of going and proclaiming. Now, I understand how hard this is. It is not easy to go and to proclaim. Except, I will say this, there is one way or one subject in which it's very easy for me to proclaim about. If you talk with me for a little bit, a couple of weeks, a couple, you know, couple meetings, you'll find that I love to talk about restaurants and food. 
I love good food. I think it's awesome. I find joy in good food. When I find a restaurant that cooks good food, I have strong faith that they will continue to do so. And then I start telling people, dude, have you tried this place? This is awesome. You got to go over here. I used to be a torches fanatic. Now, not so much. It's kind of gotten, you know, dull. But I used to be a big torches fanatic. And I would tell people about torches. And yet I wouldn't necessarily tell them about Jesus. Because I think sometimes what happens is my joy in Christ doesn't compare, sadly, to the joy of torches. It's a weird contradiction, I understand. But isn't this true in our own hearts? Do we really have joy in Christ? Do we really have faith that he truly is the one who has come to take away the sins of the world? When and if we do, and if we continue to grow in that and ask the Lord to fill us with his joy and with more faith and ask him for help in proclaiming, proclamation becomes just a third step in an equation. It just happens. You can't help but tell people about Jesus. So my prayer for us this morning when it comes to proclamation is this, that we would humble ourselves before the Lord and begin the difficult work of proclaiming. It's hard at first. And then what happens is the Lord reveals to you, it ain't that hard. I'm with you. Just speak. Just speak. So this morning as we come to the table, and we begin to declare that Christ has died, that Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. We're also declaring that Christ has been born. This morning, when you come to the table, you can come in joy. If you are in Christ, you can come in full joy because the Father has sent the Son to be the sacrifice that you might be adopted as his child. You are forever his. You can come in joy. You can come in faith. You can come in faith that Christ has died. And that his shed blood and his resurrection allows you to eat of this table. That is a, but a foretaste of the heavenly feast that awaits us. And you can take this communion and after we eat it, we can proclaim together that Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. And then we can go out from this space filled with joy, filled with faith, and go proclaim, go tell it on a mountain that Jesus has been born. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning grateful. Grateful that you have sent the Son. Jesus, we're grateful that you have died, risen from the dead, and now are seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us, that you are the coming King, the King now and forevermore, that you are the greater prophet, that you are the blessing to the nations, that you are the one who crushed the head of the deceiver. Holy Spirit, we're thankful that you have come and revealed to us this wonderful truth. I pray for those here this morning that have not tasted and seen that Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior of all. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would reveal this to them. Father, may we go forth from this space filled with joy, filled with faith, Give us the ability to go and proclaim this Christmas season. In Jesus' name, amen.